everyone. This is Regina. Hi, horse lovers. This is Lynn. This week on the Horse Industry Podcast. So when Regina and I get together, we are just a fast-talking, full of ideas. Let's type do of this. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. Let's, Let's do, this. do this. And recently, we've been going to spin class. And so <laughs> at 4.30 in the morning in the car on the way to spin class. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So talking about current events. And so the current event at that point was Ida heading towards Louisiana. And oh my gosh, you know, the families and the homes and, and the people that are in the way, but the animals that are in the eye of the storm. And I talked a little bit about the experience that Kevin and I had living in Florida and riding out a hurricane or loading up and getting our asses out of the hurricane. Well, and I asked Lynn because I have never lived in the South for those major disasters. I mean, up here in the Northern countries, we have blizzards, we have tornadoes, but down there, the hurricanes, that's Pretty scary stuff. People from the Midwest have no idea. And I am from the Midwest, but spent 13 years in in South Florida. People from the Midwest, there's nothing that wants to eat us here. There's, I mean, a little tornado that spins around here and there. But basically, we don't face hurricanes. We don't face the fires, the devastating fires that they have in the West and even in Florida. I mean, we really, our natural disaster is a blizzard that's going to give us some snow. We might lose our power. We'll survive it. But this hurricane thing is way different. And sometimes you wonder, is it just really, I mean, come on, is it really just a big thunderstorm? So, and that unfortunately is so us in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we kind of think of it that way. Until you're there, now, recently with the pandemic, we've experienced the shelves emptying yes. of toilet paper. Yeah. But when you're in Florida and there's a storm approaching, you have days, and I worked at the hospital. And so there's like an A team and a B team for the hospital. Like there's the people that are there pre-storm, and then there's the people that come in post-storm. Mm-hmm. So as a hospital system, we would have to stock up on cases and cases of water and medical supplies and drugs and like whatever you would need to get through a duration of no electricity or whatever that storm might bring you. So that's the human side of it. Mm-hmm. But on the horse side of it, Kevin and I were naive when Andrew was heading towards Miami Mm -hmm. and Kevin and I were in the Fort Myers area. So we decided, oh, hurricane party. Fun. Ride the storm out. So, you know, we had our horses all safely in the barn. Um, We did everything wrong to prepare for a hurricane. Wow. Because the devastation that we saw on the news and the stories that we heard about the devastation in Miami and that whole area after the storm were absolutely heartbreaking and devastating to talk about. And and so the next time a storm came, we loaded up our stuff and we headed out of state. Like we were not <laughs> sticking around at all. So when Hurricane Andrew hit Miami and you were in the Fort Myers area, did you get any like No, we saw like the they talk about the 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 tail of the storm. Like mm-hmm. you could see the the clouds swirling and we got some rain, but really it was kind of like a letdown and how awful of me to say that it was a letdown, Mm -hmm. but literally we got hardly anything Mm -hmm. in the Fort Myers area. Mm -hmm. Miami and that area, I mean, it just, it leveled, it just leveled 
things. And horses and animals and livestock were just, all of their boundaries were gone. Mm -hmm. And there are stories about like cowboys from the, from the Fort Myers or the Gulf side of Florida would take trailers over there trying to gather up livestock, trying to gather up injured horses and bring them back to, to get them help. And Mm -hmm. there is some of the people marked their horses. And we're going to talk about a Mm -hmm. little bit about that as Mm -hmm. we get further through this episode today. But some of the people would mark their horses. There are people that like spray painted their phone numbers on horses. But if you spray paint your phone number on your horse and all the cell towers are down, how the hell do you find the owner? Right. 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 They took off halters and stuff like that so that these animals didn't get, you know, caught in debris. Mm -hmm. And and then there's also the horrendous stories of people that literally went over there and loaded up horses to take to the kill pen. And to why? To try to profit from that. I oh, mean, they, they tried to, t- to profit. As you take them to the kill pen and they, they're going to go profit from it. So there was the legit rescue people that went over and, and gathered up horses and then tried to match them up with their owners, which was, I mean, there was, and I, and I wish that I had spent more time to give you better details of, of those organizations that did that. But there was organized groups after Andrew that really worked hard to match up horses with owners. And I feel like the show people got their horses out or were more prepared than just the the ranch horses that were out on these big ranches with the cattle and, and the common owner that probably couldn't get their backyard horse out of the state. And probably some of those were never matched back up with their owners. Mm. So, Gina, one of the things that I didn't even think about, too, like when you're evacuating for a hurricane and you live in in South Florida, and Florida is basically a a peninsula, Mm -hmm. and you've got to head, you know, six hours straight north to get out of the state of Florida. Well, guess what happens when people, after Andrew, people started panicking about getting out of, leaving, like Mm -hmm. getting the heck out. And so I know that for my stepson and his wife, the last time that they wanted to evacuate horses, by the time that they were ready to leave, they couldn't get fuel for their truck. They couldn't get fuel to get out of the state. And the traffic jams were so bad that they were afraid of being stuck in traffic jams for their horses. That's terrifying. So what they ended up doing is they they marked their horses, they turned them out in a big pasture, and they left with their children and left those horses. And Ugh. there was two days where they they had no idea what had happened to their horses Ugh. after. And it was a smaller storm that kind of hit the Fort Myers area. But I know that there was a lot of horse people that were devastated during that storm. So I know that you researched tips mm-hmm. on how to evacuate or what to do with your horses mm-hmm. in, in the face of any type of storm. So what did you find, Gina? Well, in a lot of the information is about people with horses who are facing hurricanes, but it's also applicable to those of us in the Midwest when it comes to tornadoes or ice storms or any type of severe winter weather. So, but a lot of it, again, is about those hurricanes or those tropical storms. First of all, they said, you know, prepare. Preparation is important. Before the storm, tend to your trees, trim the overhanging limbs or cut down unhealthy trees because those trees, when they're, when they face that type of power, they can come down in a hurry. And, you know, a sad note is that Lynn and I had a family member who lost, it was just a random Michigan thunderstorm and a tree fell on the horse and no one had ever anticipated that could happen. It was a big old oak tree, I think. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So even here in the Midwest, it's important to keep those trees trimmed. You know, repair hinges and gate latches 
Anytime that wind comes through, it's going to push those gates open and those horses can get out. Have a disaster plan for your family that includes your animals and review it and update that plan regularly. Now, depending on where you live, it kind of impacts how detailed that plan is. And like you said, having to evacuate from Florida, a peninsula, when you're facing a storm like Hurricane Andrew is completely different than if, let's say, you live here in Michigan or in the Midwest. And sometimes those tornadoes just pop up quick. And so... Yeah, absolutely. And you know, this brings to mind for me, too. So not only did we evacuate for hurricanes in Florida, but we had to evacuate for a fire one time. Oh, And like... And that's why that evacuation plan has got to be top of mind because mm-hmm. we were not prepared for a fire. Mm-hmm. And so we had and for a hurricane with the National Weather Service, you've got days to prepare. Mm-hmm. When there's a, a brush fire that suddenly headed towards your farm mm-hmm. and they tell you to get out. I mean, think about if you've got 10 horses in your barn in a four-horse trailer, we took out four horses and they wouldn't let us back in to get the rest of our horses. Oh. So you are sitting there hysterically crying where the police have the road blocked off and not letting you in and not knowing what you're going to go back to. So you've almost got to have a fire plan, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, so do you turn your horses loose mm-hmm. because the fire's coming? You don't want to leave them trapped in a barn. Right. And that's kind of what we did at that point. We just turned them loose in the field and... And there was no time to mark them. Oh, so I think geez. one of the chips, that you're, one of the tips <laughs> that you're going to have about chips, chips. is going to be important. So we were lucky. The firefighters kept the the fire or the fire out of our neighborhood, and our horses were fine. But that's another thing, and trimming the brush on the trees and in your branch. I mean, mm-hmm. that's for people in the west and even in the south that face these fires. That's another thing that can help your property is keep that the brush down. Anything that would ignite, keep it down. Yeah, for sure. It also talks about how you should make sure that you keep your horses current with their vaccinations because when you have that type of event that happens like Katrina or Ida or Hurricane Andrew and there's so much water that brings about mosquitoes and such. So it's important to keep those horses vaccinated. Have a network plan with horse and farm owners nearby so that you can work together. And it's, again, on this random, bright, sunny, happy day, literally a week and a half ago, my neighbor came over because her pump broke at her house. She needed to get water for her horses. So she came to my house and she filled up buckets of water and took it home. Now, I've known her my whole life. We're friends, but that's how you support each other mm-hmm. when you're neighbors and you have animals to care for. So so network. Another one is if it's not some random, normal, sunny, happy day, and you know weather's a coming, be sure to have two forms of identification somewhere on the horse's body. So like you said, there's this permanent identification. This is like a microchip, a tattoo, or a brand. And if there, if you do have a tattoo or brand, keep track of that information and have a copy of it or a picture of it. I never thought about microchipping my horse. My dog is microchipped. I never thought about microchipping my horse. Ditto. And this is the story that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, Gunner the Hurricane Horse. The only way that they really found this horse was because this horse was microchipped. Never occurred to me to microchip my horse. I mean, obviously, I'm aware of brands. And when you, know, when you have paints and pinos or horse Appaloosas, they have certain coat patterns. But it's surprising how many 
Tobianos look alike or how many Overos look alike. So you have to be really specific if you have pictures that you know, like very, very specific pattern markings that you can prove that that horse is yours if that horse gets lost. So there's that permanent identification. There's also this temporary identification. There's these luggage type tags that you can secure to the tail or the halter. But like you said, you have to be sure that If you're using a halter, that it's a breakaway halter because you don't want that horse to get hung up on something. Yet, if it's a breakaway halter and you're using it for the identification, it just doesn't work. This is something I didn't know about. Have you ever heard of fetlock tags? Never. Never. So these fetlock tags, they're made of leather and Velcro. And I looked it up before we recorded this. It's like this. It's like a, you know, like you have a watch and it's a Velcro watch. You literally put it snug against that horse's fetlock and it has a number on there. So it's leather in case it gets hung up and it can break away. But usually in that particular part of the horse's body, the chances of it, unlike a halter, of it getting hooked on something is very slim. So you can order these fetlock tags. You can also order these in case of emergency ID tags that you can braid into a horse's mane. And I'm sure you probably had seen those in Florida. I actually never have, but that's a great idea. Yeah. It's like, it's just this little lightweight tag and you put, uh, you like make a ponytail in your horse's main and then you braid it and then you put the tag in there and you braid it again and you can just kind of weave it right into that horse's mane so that's that, a great idea yeah and i think it's important that i mean if it were me i would have multiple forms on that horse that horse would be so spray painted and <laughs> tagged like a billboard yes it would be a billboard <laughs> <laughs> so with this information you know be sure to have your name address and phone number and, and an alternate phone number. Like, okay, so again, sure. you, like how many of us don't have a home phone anymore? We would only have a cell phone. Right. So there's a hurricane, there's no cell service. You've almost got to have like your next of kin for sure. that lives out of state as a contact. Well, right. Because like you said, and we knew for quite a while during Katrina, there was no way to communicate with anybody. You know, the the information system was down. So somebody finds this horse, it would be nice to be able to contact somebody who's not necessarily living in that area to make sure that you can find that animal when you need to, when you can get to it. So in addition, it also talked about, you know, prepare a waterproof emergency animal kit with things like salves and ointments and vet wrap and bandages and electrical tape. I love electrical tape. There's like a million uses for electrical tape. Yeah. That's a good one to yeah, have. That and duct tape. Yes. And keep that kit in a safe place where you can access it after the storm. Because you're probably not going to be able to get a vet. Exactly. The vets are going to be just as overwhelmed as, I mean, they have lives and homes and businesses too. So you're, and that was one of the things that, that came out of Andrew is that, there was no vets that right. could, I mean, they tried, but they yeah. couldn't. You need to have your own yeah. stop blood wound and lacerations. That I think the biggest wounds that come out of things like that are lacerations. For sure. And I'm going to admit that I keep my horse's prescription medicine long after it is expired, <laughs> just in case, right? <laughs> I mean, it's expired, but you know, it's better to have something than nothing. I treat my family the same way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it only expired three well, years. Painkiller was good 14 years yeah. ago. <laughs> okay, so before the weather hits, clean up your property be- before the threat comes. So like if you can remove debris that might fly around, that's going to be helpful. And as I look out my window and look at all the I don't have a junky yard, but I've got 
stuff around, right? So you need to go pick that stuff up and make sure that you're not creating more opportunities to have those horses hurt by debris that's flying around. Water. I mean, how important is water? Each horse should have 12 to 20 gallons per day stored. Fill garbage cans with plastic liners. Fill all your water troughs. I mean, I do that. If I know there's a storm coming, Lynn, I go out and I fill all my water tanks. I mean, that was that's a learned behavior from our childhood because that's what like grandma and grandpa yeah. would do. They yeah. would do that. Yeah. So yeah. No, when we get thunderstorms, well, let's fill all the water tanks. Yeah. And you know, and this is a Midwest thunderstorm. Yeah. I mean, we lose power. So I'll go around and I'll fill a bunch of extra buckets and just have them sitting in the barn just in case. I mean, and after the storm, I don't go dump out the water. I just fill the, you know, I pour the water in the water tank. So it's not wasted water, but it's there in case I need it. Keep chlorine bleach on hand, and you can add it to contaminated water if you have to. It says to purify water, add two drops of chlorine bleach per quart of water and let it stand for 30 minutes. I've never had to do that, but it does make sense. I mean, I would think that would be helpful for people too, right? Making a mental note of that because I did not know that information. Right. Obviously, if you have a generator, you're super lucky. I don't have a generator. You have a generator. Do you have a generator? We we do have a generator. And the thing is, I mean, when storms are coming like that, you've got to make sure you've got plenty of gas to run the generator. There's all these steps to and make sure And then also that you're don't ready. be so stupid to run the generator in a closed in area. Oh. That, there was more deaths. I just, I read that stati- statistic somewhere. There were more deaths after the hurricane of, of some storm, by people that were asphyxiated by their generators. generators. Yeah. Well, it's a silent killer. I yeah. mean, you don't know that that's happening to you. Yeah. But yeah, so you have, you just be have to smart be, about that. Be smart about that. Don't okay. put it outside an open window and let the fumes come in the house. Yeah. Not, not, a, not, a, good, not a good choice. Okay. So that's kind of what you should do before the storm comes. Evacuation. If you plan to evacuate, like you had talked about leaving Florida, have a destination and a route mapped out well in advance. You know, it's important to evacuate your horses a sufficient distance from the coast. I mean, that's the whole point of evacuating is getting away from the coast or away from something so that you're that you're sure that I, man, I would be out of there a week in advance. I mean, if I knew a hurricane would yes. co- was coming, I would be first of all, I don't even know if I would live in a place where there's hurricanes coming because I would be such a stress case all the time worrying about it. So, you know, and it didn't really, until I became a parent, mm. with the first hurricane, when Andrew hit, Kevin and I weren't parents, so mm-hmm. it was just us. Yeah. And we're like, hey, we hey. got beer. Yeah. <laughs> got shelter. <laughs> Off work. We're from the Midwest. It's just a bad yeah. thunderstorm. We had some friends come hang out with us. Yeah. Like, I was like, we really did not put thought it. We're <laughs> very lucky. And how many people are like us that oh. face a storm like that? So the first time, no. Then after we had children, uh-huh. oh, holy, like there's just a hint yeah. in the ocean 1,100 <laughs> million miles, miles away, away. And we're like, load the kids up. We're, we're out, out of here. <laughs> Bring the dogs, the horses, whatever. Yeah. We're out. Yeah. Well, and it says try to leave a minimum of 70, 72 hours before the arrival of the storm. Well, now that the common knowledge is you ride, you leave 72 hours before, I would add another 24 to it because yes. everybody's leaving yeah. 72 hours before. The worst thing that can happen to you and your horses is to get stuck in traffic with a trailer full of horses in a hurt with a hurricane approaching. The water, the stress, the, the heat, the it's heat. Hot. Okay, so here's a million-dollar question. Should your horses be left in the pasture or placed in the barn? 
So with some experience, I'm going to say they, they need to be out of the barn so the barn doesn't collapse on them. Well, and that's what it, that's kind of, if the pasture has good fencing and limited trees, it's probably best to leave the horses outside. Even the well-constructed pole barns or concrete black barns may provide safety from flying debris. They can collapse and horses can get stuck in there. You know, the decision is entirely up to each horse owner, but you're supposed to use common sense when making that decision. You should take into consideration the barn structure, whether or not you've got a bunch of trees or power lines, and the condition of the surrounding properties. Horses on farms subject to storm surge or flash flooding really should be turned out because otherwise they're going to get trapped and could drown. Electrical lines, you know, keep horses out of pasture with power lines. Again, trees with shallow roots will fall easily in hurricane force winds. And the fencing, it said don't keep horses in barbed wire or electric fencing during the storm. Horse owners agonize. I mean, Lynn, I do that now when a thunderstorm comes. Should I shut them in? Should I let them out? I do that with fireworks. I mean, we have a Riverfest fireworks event um, near our home, and they let off fireworks a mile from my house. And it's always like, do I shut my horses in or do I let them out? You know, you just you just don't know. And I think it depends too. Every horse is a little different. Mm-hmm. Some of our show horses are so used to the travels and the commotion and being very worldly. And some horses just aren't used to that. So I think you have to take into consideration so many factors. Your barn, your fencing, what the environment around you. Are you high in the topography? Are you low? Is it going to flood? What is the horse's capacity to tolerate severe weather and noise and such. The barn might seem like a logical place, but it's not necessarily the best choice. Could you imagine going through your trainer's barn or any trainer's barn and those horses are so valuable, worth thousands and thousands of dollars and having to make that choice. Do I leave this precious sheltered show horse that really doesn't need to has ever been even turned out with other horses since it was a baby mm-hmm. and putting, you know, 20 show horses in an outdoor pen together, they probably kick and break each other's oh. legs. Like what a choice for a trainer oh. or a horse owner to have to make. It's, it's heartbreaking because they probably, I mean, during, during, if you've got a hurricane approaching, if you've got days and maybe you get all your customers together to move everybody out, but mm. Not everybody can do that because your owners are probably taking care of family, their own family right. and homes, or they're far away from the barn. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I'm an hour and a half away from where our show horse is. And so you can't you can't get there and you just kind of have to cross your fingers. You know, th- it talked about how the storm of great magnitude like Katrina, turning horses loose is, is of course, no guarantee that they're going to survive. But at least they have a fighting chance. Horses will instinctively seek out the safest places if given the opportunity. You know, put them in the largest field available on high ground with the fewest trees. Avoid fields with power lines, like we said. And again, it's not recommended that you leave halters on horses because they can get they can get caught. And then I went on to talk about you mentioned the wildfire. In extreme situations like when a wildfire is approaching and there's no time to trailer out your horses, you've at least have to give them the opportunity to survive. Put identification on each horse the best that you can, open the gates, cut the fences, and at least give them a chance to run to safety so they have a shot. So if you're going to weather the storm, if you're sticking in there, if you like you did that first time around, have at least two or three weeks of supply of hay available, wrap it in plastic or some type of waterproof tarp. But again, you got to make sure it doesn't mold because you wrap it in plastic and it can get moldy. 
place these supplies on the highest out-of-reach ground from floodwaters. Fill the plastic garbage cans with waters. We've said it before, but fill garbage cans with water, probably plastic, and secure the tops. And have an ample supply of flashlights and batteries and, and the stuff that you would need to, to be able to, you know, if it's dark and you need to tend to a wound, make sure that you've got the tools that you need to help that horse. When you have survived the storm, start early to clean up your property and remove debris that might have been tossed around, that your precious show horses that don't understand what it's like. I mean, trail is one thing, real live trail. (laughs) (laughs) It's not just poles. (laughs) Remove the types of things that can hurt your horses. So that's kind of the hurricane part. But then you talk about blizzards, you know, with modern forecasting technology, heavy snowfalls and blizzards rarely surprise anybody. But at least you need to think about what you're going to do. One of the biggest risks of a blizzard is when you get so much snow and your horses are tucked in safe in the barn and you think everything's good and that snow collapses the roof and you have a tragedy. So you have to be very aware of the type of buildings that you have and whether or not the integrity of those buildings can withstand that blizzard. You know, blankets, make sure you have plenty of hay. Do you have do you have enough hay? Because if there's a blizzard, you can't. Sometimes you can't get out to go get more hay. And so it might be helpful to stock up on like those hay pellets or those hay cubes that you can get at TSC or Family Farm and Home. And you need to have a plan for water. Horses cannot eat enough snow to stay hydrated. And many winter colics are the result from dehydration. It also recommended that you can stock up on kitty litter, not the clumping kind. but So you can just use traction on ice that may form around your barn so your horses don't slip. And they said rock salt works, but that can also burn like the paws of your dog's feet. And also the runoff can kill some pasture plants. So you have to be real real careful about what you put down. It also said check your tractor. Make sure it's fully fueled. I don't have a tractor to check. (laughs) But I do have a husband and a snowblower. So make sure that those work and have plenty of gas. Identify a turnout space for your horses. If your horses are being kept in stalls, it's important to try to get them out at least once in a while if you're really kind of shut down for a week or two. And having them being cooped up is not a good thing for horses that are used to being out. So those are a lot of tips, which kind of brings us, I'm really reluctant to bring up this story about Gunner the Hurricane Horse because it is, it's a very emotional story. Don't spoil the ending yet. Okay. So there's this woman, her name is Heather Goodwin, and she has since remarried, so her last name is different now, but she had a horse named Gunner. His registered name was PBJ Dex Smokin' Gun. And PBJ is in peanut butter jelly? I thought of the same thing. I like that. Yeah, I liked it too. So he, he arrived at Heather's farm, and she was not impressed with him. And her husband was like, you know what? It's, it might be a good project. She just, she just really wasn't impressed with him. But this horse had such personality that this horse grew on her. And one thing led to another. And they ended up, Lynn, from what I can tell, they won the all around title 
at the Pino and the Paint World Show in 2004 in the amateur classes. I mean, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. So Gunner is this, well, he was this beautiful paint horse. He he had four really high white socks. And on the left side of his body, that white ran up his flank. It was very, very pretty horse. He was mischievous. In fact, one of his favorite things to do, <laughs> this just cracks me up, was to squash chickens in a stall. What's <laughs> terrible. I know. <laughs> oh, a hen would just go into his stall and he would lay on it and squash it. <laughs> I didn't think horses. You're going to hell for that. I know. It's not funny, Gina. I know. And everyone needs to understand that I love chickens. I have, I have. I my kids show chickens. We've got beautiful chickens. They're very well cared for. I love chickens, but the fact that a horse would just purposely lay down and squash a chicken, or the fact that the chicken was stupid enough to lay there and well, let it happen, exactly. They have very small brains. They have, they do, and they have intelligence in other ways. But yes, his favorite thing to do was to lay down and squash chickens. So <laughs> anyway. I can't believe our podcast has come to this. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so. Heather and Gunner, they did really well. I mean, they would show paint shows. They went to the world shows. They had a very good show career. Heather was a nurse in New Orleans when Hurricane Katrina hit, and she was obviously busy. I mean, you you talked about it. I mean, the hospitals right. overwhelmed. Right. And so when the when Katrina hit, her husband and her son were left at home on their farm. And they wrote it out. And of course, communication was difficult to do because everything was down. She was very concerned about her family. And of course, she was concerned about her animals too. It never occurred to her that something could happen to Gunner, her horse. And it did. So when Katrina hit, basically Katrina washed out all of their fencing. And so... Heather's husband, after the storm, Heather's at the hospital in New Orleans. Heather's husband spent days and days and days trying to find their animals. Some of the animals were okay, and some of them were not. And so he had that grim task of taking care of the bodies of the cattle or the horses or whatever that they lost. But he knew how important this horse was to Heather, and he couldn't find he couldn't find Gunner. So Gunner was actually found three months later. God, that just gave me goosebumps. Yeah. I haven't read this book. No, he was found three <laughs> months later, a hundred miles away. He collapsed in a woman's garden. And originally a woman tried to shoo the the horse away with a broom, but the horse just collapsed. And so she called some rescue people, some of those horse rescue people sure. that you talked about. And this is three months after the storm. So he's just been wandering. Yeah. He was in bad shape. And they they were able to find that microchip that we talked about. And if Heather had not had that microchip in Gunner, I I don't think they would have this would not have the happy ending that it has with Gunner coming home because they were getting ready to euthanize Gunner because he was in so bad shape. He was he was starved, he was dehydrated, he was weak, he couldn't stand up. And so they they scanned it, they found it, they got a hold of Heather's husband at the time, and he called her at the hospital and said they found Gunner. Oh, 
tears. Oh, like, right. Right. But after three months. Yeah. But they said, you know, he's in bad shape, Heather. And the vets and the rescue people, it's the kind thing would be to let him go. And she said, no way. No way. So Heather went home, got her truck and trailer together. Getting to where Gunner was should have been a fairly, sh- I mean, it was a hundred miles. So what, you know, two hours, two hours. It took much longer than that because even after three months, the area was still just totally torn up. She finally got to him and the horse could not the horse couldn't stand up. And when she got there, she felt, she thought that he had already passed. But when he heard her voice, <gasps> oh my God, I know he lifted his head. And so they got Gunner in the trailer and they brought Gunner home. And his recovery took a really, really, really long time. I mean, she, her and her family, it was. They actually had to have him in kind of a sling because he wasn't even strong enough to stand. He was so weak. And he had had something had gone into one of his eyes. One of his, he's blind, he was blind in one eye from the storm. So he had had an injury, many injuries, but the eye injury caused him to be blind in one eye. So they got him. They found him. They brought him home. Think about all the horses that go through those stories. Like they're pampered show horses. Even the wildlife like they don't have any warning that hey there's a storm coming yeah. and it's gonna wipe out your forest or wipe out your barn your farm your, like those animals have just got to be so scared and devastated for sure so gunner came home his road to recovery was was long and it took dedication so what would have happened if he had not been microchipped she never would have found he would have died in that lady's field. Yeah, they, they would have never, would have never they, they never would have been able to contact the owner. And so they would have thought the kind thing to do was to euthanize the horse. So they would have euthanized him. They had no way to get the information back to the owners. And so this family never would have known what had happened to that horse. Therefore, when we get done with recording this podcast, I'm going to be calling my vet and I'm going to get all of my horses microchipped. Well, and I wonder if that's just a, a hurricane region. Right. Like my vet has never said, I mean, my vet said, you're going to microchip your dog, you're going to microchip yeah. your cat. So yeah, yeah it's Margaret that travels with us as microchip. But sure. no vet has ever said no. anything about microchipping a horse. So our listeners, and we have a lot of listeners from Texas and Florida. Has your vet ever recommended a microchip in your horse? Is that a, is that a common normal thing that you all do in the hurricane regions? Because, I mean, a tornado could come through and wipe out our fencing. And my horse could get lost. I, I don't know. But we don't have the vast. The vast. The masters. Like in Florida, there's like, if you get to the central part of the state, it's just miles and miles and miles of swamp and nothingness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe the microchip won't help because nobody will find it. But anyway, I'm going to check into that, Gino. I need, we need to check into that because if it's not that, I mean, if it's not that big of a deal... I'm going to get my horse microchip. I mean, I guess we spend more on regime and supplements and injections than what that little microchip would ever cost. So we talked about it took Heather a very long time to get this horse back to health. Now, as I had mentioned, she was a nurse. And because she was a nurse and she had gone through Hurricane Katrina with all of her colleagues and they knew about the story of Gunner. They surprised her one day and paid for her entries to the Paint World Show in 2006. 
So he's healed up good enough to go to the world show. He was healed up good. She had talked about in a couple articles, and actually there was a paint horse, there was an article in the Paint Horse Journal that was, it was excellent from 2019. But the horse had healed enough that she was able to go back to the 2006 Paint World Show. And just that's just a year later. Yeah. Just a year later. Right, because 2005 was, is when she won yeah, the two all-around titles. The two th- well, 2004, she won the all-around. Okay. 2005, Katrina hit. 2006, she's back. She went back to the Paint World Show. And she conv- she competed in three events, the Amateur Hunt Seat Eck, the Amateur Hunter Under Saddle, and the Amateur Showmanship. And she was actually able to place in the top 15 in the Amateur Showmanship. Awesome. What she had described was her favorite class with her horse. And so that's it's totally... It's totally heartwarming. You know, that reminds me, having just been to the Paint World Show, not all paths to the World Show are are linear. There are those of us, and up until this year, up until when my daughter's youth horse got hurt, my path to these big shows had always been pretty linear. You know, you you work hard, you enter, you plan, you go, you compete, you hopefully win something, and you come home. And then there's all these paths to the world show that take so many detours. And it's just about being there for her. Exactly. And that's exactly what she said. So, you know, before then, she said, I went to win titles. When she went in 2006 with Gunner, it was about being there with that horse and that dedication to that horse and finding that horse and bringing that horse back to health. So there was an article in the Paint Horse Journal, again, as I'd mentioned in the July, August 2019 article called Lean on Me. And it talks about her journey with Gunner and her journey in life. And she she has certainly faced some incredible, devastating challenges throughout her life that those of us can't only imagine having having to survive. So Gina and I debated about talking about how this book ends because it is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And I shared with Lynn that I was reading this book, Gunner the Hurricane Horse by Judy Andrickson. And I am one of those people that I always jump to the end of every book I read to read the last chapter. It's just who I am. And so I jumped to the to the back of this book and it it's the epilogue of how you know PBJ deck smoking gun still lives in Mississippi with Heather and then at the very end it says the story is written in memory of Wesley William Goodwin and at the time that I was reading this I, I kind of made a mental note of it but I didn't know who Wesley William Goodwin was when I started the book. So in 2007, Heather and Gunner head back to Oklahoma for another world show, we're assuming. They're 49 miles from home and involved in a horrific accident. Heather's son, her seven-year-old son, Wesley, and her niece were killed in the accident. We had to mention that in this episode because you cannot talk about Gunner and Heather without paying tribute to her son, son. and her niece. Mm-hmm. As Lynn and I share the stories of the industry, there's there's the human side and the horse side and how we all come together. And I'm sure that 
Heather has been lifted up by so many people through the years. Yeah. And everyone who's been involved with tragedies like Hurricane Katrina or Hurricane Andrew or barn fires or or natural disasters that have hit their homes and farms, and they've had to find a way to recover and move on and and not maybe heal completely, because sometimes you just can't heal completely from certain tragedies. But we would love to hear your stories and how you've triumphed and moved on from situations like Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Ida. Yeah. And I don't know that I mentioned that Gunner did survive that that accident. And so I've I've got to believe that Gunner was a, a sense of therapy for Heather to recover from just the unspeakable. So every every storm has its tragedies and triumphs. And let us let us hear about your stories of recovery from these storms. <laughs> 